Hello everyone, I'm here again with this week's plugs. Listener Chris from Rochester, New York has asked us to give a quick shout out to the newest branch of the ANRPC, the North East Tournament Series, also known as the Nets. They're having their inaugural weekend, November the 21st and 22nd, and they're featuring two tournaments. The event will be in Rochester, New York, which aside I think is where the X-Men Mansion is, I'll have to double check that. Saturday will be a standard format featuring heaps of prizes, including custom t-shirts for the top eight, tokens, wooden IDs, a first round buy to any circuit qualifier and more. Sunday is a casual partner event where teams of two will have to come prepared with four decks, the standard two each, using only a single card pool, only three copies of anything between them. So it's a unified constructed tournament, which is pretty exciting. If you're around Rochester, New York, and you want to hit up the latest branch of the NRPC, the Nets, you can check it out on Facebook. Secondly, we just want to give out a Big, huge thank you to everyone who is currently supporting us on Patreon. Uh, Thanks to you guys, we're being able to do some video content, which we're really enjoying. You can check out our YouTube channel at The Winning Agenda. (laughs) Our little name is Corporate Troubleshooter, which is pretty funny. You can check out our almost weekly uh, video content there, which is us uh, testing decks, creating decks using a randomly selected ID and testing them. And also uh, playing around with the new Data and Destiny cards. Additionally, there's some Let's Play videos in there. For those of you who are into that, there is one of Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines and Read Only Memories, a fantastic new video game on Steam, which we are, in this episode, going to reveal our competition winners for. So big shout-out to everyone supporting us on Patreon. If you would like to help us out a bit, if you like what we're doing here, you want to see us do more of it, jump onto patreon.com slash thewinningagenda and throw some shekels our way. Thanks so much, guys. Enjoy this week's episode of The Winning Agenda. Good evening, and welcome to episode 57 of The Winning Agenda. Tonight, our panellists include runner-up for both the 2014 Melbourne Regionals and the 2014 Australian Nationals, Liam Prasad. Hey, what's up? 2014 Australian National Champion and 2014 World's Top 16 competitor, Jesse Marshall. Hello. 2015 Regional Top 8 competitor, and I think these are old notes, Hollis Echo. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, it's Halloween there soon, isn't it, Hollis? Isn't that exciting for you guys? Like, it's not yeah. big here in the... Yeah, actually... Yeah. What are you dressing up as this year? What's the secret tech for your outfit? Uh, so the secret tech is that I am going to use... Um, I'm going to be dressed as Wolfie Horrig. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so when people when people ask me questions, I'm just going to give, like, only answers that are, like, like mechanically... Uh, like, all right, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. It's fine. It's actually it's fine. fine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you have to wear a hoodie. You have to wear a hoodie everywhere. everywhere, yeah. Poor guy's not even here to defend himself. Uh, come on, let's yeah. Come on. This is all of us impersonating our favorite buy road, Wolfie Hart. Nice. We love him and we hope he never changes. We're never going to upgrade you, Wolfie. He'll always be 1.0 to us. Uh, While we're talking about secret tech, Hollis, uh, World is coming up and you're the only TWA representative that's going to be there. So how are you feeling? Um, I'm excited, man. I had a great time last year at Worlds. It was was really interesting because I, uh, with the exception of when I was like 13 or 14 years old, I hadn't played in any sort of like card game event that was like you know, the, the, the grand finals and had, you know, a certain, um, level of like invitational only, even though anybody could come, you know, that the, the best players are here probably. So, uh, um, I'm really excited this year. Last year I met some great people. I met, uh, world champion Dando Diarginio. I met Jesse Marshall. Uh, I met Dave Hoyland, um, excellent player in the UK meta. Um, probably one of the best players in the UK meta. So, um, yeah. 
definitely amazing guy. So I, I, I'm, I'm excited to meet all those guys and kind of uh, mingle and schmooze with the best of the Schmoozing. best of <laughs> Netrunner. Um, maybe get in a little hot tub time machine. Um, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. Or just hot tub, hot tub time in general. Just get in the hot mm-hmm. tub with him. Oh, it's going to be great. I can't wait. Yeah. I, it, there's going to be so many like horrible things that happen in the hot tub. I don't even know. It, it's almost awkward. I don't know. <laughs> um, I thought it was a pool. No, that, that sounds that sounds great. Yeah, Do you reckon this is <laughs> I wish I could be a schmoozing or a schmuzzle. A schmuzzle, a schmoozle. A schm- <laughs> um, schm- What about? Is there anything you're expecting might be a bit different in terms of the actual tournament structure and things like that? I think they're gonna. I think they may surprise us a little bit. There's there's a lot of there's a couple of rumors floating around. There's also uh, you know a couple uh, I guess expectations, predictions about what's going to happen. What decks will win? What the decks floor rules will be different. That's correct. We're gonna have uh, be mm. we're gonna have the uh, the you know the new the new floor rules you know actually implemented. So uh, that no, I think is gonna be well well represented with the judge program. And um, I think uh, as far as like unknowns that I'm just kind of predicting will happen, I do think they will quote unquote officially launch the judge program there. I think they will actually say, "Hey guys, it's available now. You can here's a link." Go take a test or whatever. I think that would be cool. It, it would be. I think yeah. they're going to give us the first like pack of the next set. I think that's very possible. Very, very possible. And a new yeah. draft set. Is that what happened last last time? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. At Worlds, yeah, through the draft set. Well, Lots of spoils through the draft set. Hey, that was just the draft set. I the draft set giving you the first pack of the next set. Is that well, giving the first pack of the Mumbad cycle? Yeah, oh. they should have that as well. Yeah, I, I, hope, I hope they don't do that. I, I'm so sick of things being spoiled 18 months in advance. <laughs> it's it's basically like a, a Gen Con, of course, you know, they, they released the Data and Destiny big box very, very early. And then, of course, we have been sitting, even though the the box actually, you know, um, has been on the boat for a long time, I think it just recently started shipping or something like that, or maybe even yeah, just... Yeah, some stores have it in, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I know the Arloka store doesn't. So, I mean, basically, it's it's been a it's been a pack that's just been sitting and sitting and sitting and sitting that everyone's been waiting on. Um, I would not be surprised at all if the Mumbad Cycle, at least that first pack, actually might be available there at that store for the event uh, f- to purchase. Um, uh, and look, look if 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 the if they're as excited as if they're as excited to get it out into the market as we are as excited to like play Mumbad Cycle cards, hmm. like I think it's probably going to just so long as they distribute it to the market evenly from the get go. Oh, yeah, just well, <laughs> right? Anyway, l- lastly, uh, Hollis. Oh well. Do you want to take? Do you want? Do you want to use this uh, podcast as a platform to lie about what you're taking to Worlds in the hopes that somebody will tech incorrectly against you? Absolutely, I'm taking Andy and RP. Oh, sweet. Okay, cool. Well, that's what you need to know. That's what you played last year, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, and is that a double bluff? No one will ever know. No, yeah, it's a double well, bluff. Oh, he will. They won't. They. In an effort to not take up too much time, I know that a lot of people have talked about their deck winning predictions. Uh, I'll start off just really quickly, just to chime in. I think the actual uh, deck that will win Worlds, and I'm going to be optimistic as far as the Corp goes, I'm going to say it's going to be Kate RP. What about you guys? What do you think? I think RP has been performing really, really well. Like, even in a... Like, I've been looking at some of the results coming out recently, and even though the metagame is, uh, you know, quite... There's no other way to put it. It's flooded with NBN decks in general, be they Butcher Shop or be they Fast Advance, like some, some events putting up as much as 70% mm. of uh, players playing NBN. The fact that RP lists are still putting up respectable you know, thirds and fourths here and there and top eighting quite regularly, even though they're making up a tiny proportion of the metagame of this portion, 
at, the, at this point in time. Like, I think it speaks really well to its place in the metagame at the moment. I think RP is going to well, do really well I th- as well. I think so too, because I mean, a lot of the conversations that I've seen going on in um, uh, on Reddit and Facebook and stuff like that, a lot of people sound like they're taking heavily against Neroth Hub decks, but to the point where a lot of people might not bring Neroth Hub decks because they know everyone's taking against Neroth Hub so much. Mm. So, I mean, RP might be in a really good spot as well. But that's that said, it. I won't be surprised if it's the 24-7 news team murder Butcher shop mm, list yeah, as well, which like, seems very consistent. It's, it's a cheesy list, but if, if enough people bring it, like yeah, you can't swat all, you can't swat all the flies. I mean, right? It's great. <laughs> the deck doesn't play ice. Well, that was the that was the tension <laughs> that we had last year in the metagame was between RP and NEH, and I think NEH has probably got better since last year. You've got Cyberdex Virus Suite, and you've got the twenty four seven. Well, to, to be fair, last year we had didn't have Clot, so we didn't need Cyberdex Virus Suite, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it's still good to have Cyberdex Virus. Yeah, the silver things, bullets but, the silver bullet, mm, yeah. But yes, it, you didn't need it in terms of keeping your fast advance alive. But yeah, having, having Clot does make NEH weaker, but I think Cyberdex Virus Suite is enough of a good answer. And the NEH decks, I think, have got faster since then. And Architect is also more consistently played in those decks now that I think NEH will win. I think it's just too good. Uh, and I don't think any amount of teching against it is really going to work, especially seeing as it's really two decks. Like, the the tech that you need for Butcher Shop is so different to the tech that you need for the Fast Advance variants um, that yeah, I don't think people can successfully tech against it whilst keeping their runners good enough against things like RP. And I don't... I really don't think that people will go all in on tech for Butcher Shop variants and for Fast Advance and be willing to sacrifice those RP matchups. I think people will hedge a bit, which will push any edge over the top. I mean, like, there is a list that historically has done quite well against um, meat damage builds and against RP builds and could, you know, seasonably fare against heavy asset builds, especially now with team sponsorship coming out. Let's not mention what that list is. No? No? I don't know. You can do whatever you want. It's it's just like Corset Noise, right? Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, It's Corset Noise. It plays Parasites, Data Suckers, Nymphs. And that's that's a sweet yeah. like answer to the rest of what and they've got uh, they've got um uh I've had worse now as well, which covers a lot of the meat damage mm-hmm. bases. Like it, it it's you know, a a boring old kind of thing to, to produce, right? Like just standard wild cakes in a in a core set shell, but like I think it's really well positioned. It's definitely one of the more powerful runners, but I'm not sure that it's consistently fast enough to win against NEH enough over the course of two days, but We'll see. I mean, it'll definitely be there or thereabouts alongside Kate, but I think Kate is more consistent. Mm. So, I mean, we're going to use this uh, opportunity to, well, not gamble, but uh, <laughs> to, to, to run a bit of a... Competition. A competition, yeah. yeah. So, we, we've uh, before we get into the um, the initial winners of our Read-Only Memories topic, discussion, debate, uh, competition, uh, we do have a few more copies of Read-Only Memories, a great game that I'm having a lot of fun with. You should all check out our Let's Play on our YouTube channel and check out what it's all about. We have a couple more copies to give away. And we thought what we'd do is run a sweepstakes for worlds. So you've got under a week to get these entries in. So Jesse, why don't you talk us through it? Yeah, so what we're asking people to do is just to tell us what you think the winning decks are going to be, runner and court, what you think the runner-up is going to be playing, and then what breakdown you think there's going to be of all IDs in the top eight. I also and include the archetype as well, just on tiebreakers. Yeah, so if you're saying near Earth Hub, tell us generally whether you think it's going to be a butcher shop, meat damage build, or a fast advance build, etc. Um, and if you're saying RP, tell us whether you think it's going to be a rushy RP deck or a control RP deck like what we saw last year. Yeah, Don't feel so- the need to put in like why you think these things are. Just make yeah. it quick, just tell us the top top four and whatnot. We'll give a prize to anyone who correctly pre- predicts all four of the decks in the final, as well as overall the person who got the closest to the correct top eight breakdown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And on, on top of all that, if you want to uh, do us a real biggie, also add what you would play at Worlds. 
because this is uh, really important data just to collect in general. It's something that really interests us. What people expect the metagame's going to be and how they respond to that. So if you think NEH is the most ridiculously overpowered thing in the format, but you're not going to take it, that's really interesting to us. So when's the, when's the absolute last moment uh, someone can submit the sweepstakes for? Well, I mean, the tournament is actually Saturday. I'd be totally fine just getting the results by Friday. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Yep. Yeah, Okay, so, so 11.59 p.m. Friday, American Eastern Standard Time. And if you're at Worlds, we hope Eastern. you're not up that late because you need a good night's sleep. Yes, so please yes. don't do that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, the other thing we should mention right now is that as the part of the prizes for that, I think we can give away some of our new tokens. What do you reckon, Brian? Sure. So some of you might have seen uh, on Facebook and Twitter, we announced uh, late last week that we have really, we're really lucky that uh, the fantastic crew over at Team Covenant have decided to make us some custom winning agenda tokens, which are agenda tokens for use in your Netrunner games. So we have- Winning agenda tokens. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Exactly. So clever. Yeah. Aren't we clever? (laughs) Uh, So you can see pictures of them on our Facebook and Twitter page, and we're going to be giving those out to you as part of our sweepstakes competition. So if you're one of our lucky winners, then you can expect to receive some of those. And right now, uh, there's only, only the people who won our- team tournament in the world have them so you'll mm. be the second lot of people receiving yeah. them in the whole world which is very and exciting. when you do get them please take lots of photos and tell everyone about them particularly us we just want to see people using them and having fun yeah and All thanks right. so thanks to team covenant too yeah big shout out to zach and the crew Woo. okay so let's get into uh the winners of our read any memories topic conversation the first email comes from Jacob O. Jacob writes, I'm a relatively new player and take a lot of inspiration for decks from other lists, then change what I don't like or swap cards I don't have for things that I do. The problem I've run into is when I build my own decks from scratch, I have a real hard time bringing the density down. I found this more of an issue with runners than corpse, as I have a bit more of a hard limit at 49 cards, but my runners tend to float more in the 50 to 55 plus range. I think I'd be really good to hear about what you guys think about cutting cards, deciding what gets one, two, or three copies, and even just where to start in general. A great question. Mm, absolutely. Like, it's kind of tricky, isn't it? Like, it's, it's never quite... You're never quite sure what's going to need to come out of your deck, what's going to need to be cut, and things like that. It's very rare that the card is in your deck that's just actively bad, that every time you draw it, you just wish it wasn't there. The vast majority of cards in most matchups you draw and they're fine, right? So, like, why would you ever want to cut them? But this comes back to, I think, what it is about runners needing to choose their battles. And that is that as a runner, especially as a runner, you don't necessarily have the space for all the tools and the space for the economy and the space for the breaker suite and the space for the silver bullets and and just all of it at once. And one of the biggest contributors to that, Shilzy, just on that point while you're there, I'll, I'll let you get back to it, but um, is influence. Because influence is a limited resource in every deck and the cards that you're splashing in presumably are splashing for a reason because they're important, the more cards you have in your deck, the less likely you are to see your cards that are splashed in. Absolutely, yeah. So the more cards in your deck, the uh, the more diluted, I suppose, your influence is. And um, just in general, the more diluted all of your cards are. Because right, like every card that you include in your deck above 45 is effectively a cut to every card at once because you're drawing them all less often. Um, so cards like Shore Gamble and Daily Cast and Dirty Laundry that are just powerful when they're flowing and you're just drawing them off this glorious Earthrise Hotel and, and getting rid of them almost straight away and just keeping this brilliant economy afloat, they lose value when your deck gets bigger because you draw them less often and the, the, the beauty was in the way they chained, you know, the way they fed each other. So it's very easy to quickly lose synergies like that, but at the same time, it's very easy to start seeing your breakers a lot less. Maybe you won't have clone chip in uh, the appropriate matchups, or maybe you won't have your clot in the appropriate matchups. Maybe you'll just never be able to find your Corotha by turn two. 
Um, and so you end up playing more breakers to supplement your larger deck size. So it's very hard. I, I think one of the first ways to go is not to actually try and cut cards, but try and establish the core of your deck. Establish the very core of your deck and then try and sort out exactly what doesn't necessarily need to be there. Say you're playing a second Corotha or a third Corotha, is that there because your deck was already too large? What cards are situational? Uh, inside job, to me, whilst back in Corset was a very powerful card, people almost always play the three of. Uh, in modern Netrunner, we might consider it a bit more situational. Uh, not many people try and play other genders on turn one anymore. I think one of the the interesting things as the game's developed, I think you've touched on something really important there, Shilzy, is that when for the first couple of years, there were really only a limited number of cards that did each particular thing in the game. Uh, So the more cards you had in your deck, the less likely you were to be able to do those things when you wanted to. And because some things, like inside jobbing to get past a piece of ice, are more relevant more of the time than something like copycat or other effects that were more marginal the more often sorry if you included those marginal effects and made yourself less likely to find your core effects your deck would be less powerful but i think as the game's developing there's going to be this interesting tension i think we're already seeing it in these toolbox kate decks where you want access to actually more silver bullets particularly as the runner as corpse are having more things to threaten you with you've got you know film critic um and your other resources that you might be whatever other resources you might be playing that you want to access and then you've also got this program suite which can include like things like parisha um sharpshooter deus ex all of which you want to be accessing and you get to this point where if you include one or two extra cards is it worth having access to those silver bullets having them in your deck even though it dilutes your deck slightly and i think that's why we're seeing more people playing 46 47 cards in those sorts of decks and that's a very specific situation i think but it's, it's come yeah. about because I mean, there's there's more answers in the game that are relevant more of the time it certainly happens a bit more in shaper i think since they have the self-modifying code and the clone chip and um even calvin's uh chaos theory logos list like had all the silver bullets but he was but it sounds like he was really struggling for slots like um because once you decide that you're only going to play 40 or, or 45 or the, ma- the minimum deck size you know, it is really hard to choose what to go. I'll, I'll say it again, you've got to decide the core. If you have two breakers that break the same ice type and you're playing them both because one's big and one's small, you might have to choose that battle. If you're playing uh, more inside jobs uh, or more of a situational card, like uh, if you're playing an Escher and you're playing a Code Siphon and you're playing... Uh, what's another shape of run that's situational? Does anyone know one? Uh, indexing. I think it's a really good one. That gets yeah. cut a lot. Yeah, and in indexing. Indexing is a card that gets cut a lot as well. But, but, but yeah, it's obviously really powerful. But Fast Track is off its chain. Like, Fast mm. Track is ridiculously good. But um, there are just so many good effects now that it is really just important to, to decide what the core of your deck is trying to do. And with Runners, this means choosing your battles. And with cores, uh, and with Corpse, it's about choosing your core synergy and your core timings as well choosing your core timings you if you only intend to uh play ice until the, the third turn or whatever well you probably don't need as much as the, the deck that intends to play ice forever and one thing i think on deck design that's becoming a bit more interesting is that as cards are having more utility this is something that we've called for a lot which is saying why should assets only do one thing? Shouldn't Why can't they have two or three abilities? Why can't you have an asset that gives you a benefit to your server and some sort of economy? That would be good for the game. Once you start having more of those cards, uh, people will start questioning 
things that have been automatic in the past, like having three hedge funds, having three Jacksons, as those effects are duplicated on more and more cards. Um, and that's going to make for more interesting and exciting deck building. And I think that's already happening. Hollis, you've been cutting some hedge funds from one of your decks, for example, which is something <laughs> we never would have thought of doing a year ago. Right. right. And uh, I think you. I think now, especially with, with the different options that are available, just as you guys mentioned, you kind of have to play around a little bit. With so many cards, as, as the card pool gets bigger and bigger and bigger, you get a lot of cards that sort of serve the same purpose, but they do it in a different way. And I, I think that's, a, I think that's a, a very beautiful, elegant thing to happen, because if we have four different cards that all effectively could mean gain four credits, but they do it in a, in a different way. Like, one gives your opponent money also. One provides you with the ability to um, advance at zero, and then one just straight gains you four, you know, it, um, but has a higher, you know, initial cost to be, to be playable. Those are all really, really amazing things about the game and, and card design because you can fill those gaps for every single archetype where it's, it's relevant. Um, and, and I also wanted to add, in, in regards to thinning your deck um, and trying to, you know, trying to cut that fat, um, I know that a method some of our players locally adopt is that they will actually take the cards they consider the quote-unquote more flexible slots and from there they will simply play with those cards play with a certain amount of those cards like maybe three out of the eight they'll play a few games then remove those switch them play games with the cards that removed new cards being added switch them and then just make it they'll, they'll simply just make a mental note about what works the best and from there they basically have their answer actually that's a really good testing strategy in general like Back uh, before Nationals last year, before the podcast even, uh, one of our strategies for testing HB, um, because there, there were two HB decks we were considering, one was a fast advance list and one was a meat damage list, uh, before we sit down and play against it, the, the, whichever one of us had the HB list, we would just mix that up. So, so the person testing against it would never truly know which one it was. But uh, yeah, had an almost sure idea, and you can do the same thing with your runner deck. You know, you can try out the flexible slots and and see which way they go, and your opponents won't necessarily know. But you you need to keep that element of surprise for the test to be for the test to be real, right? Hmm. I think a lot of Hollis's points feed in nicely to the uh, next question that we received from uh, Peter W. And Peter writes, uh, part of the game I haven't seen discussed a whole lot and something I don't feel that I have a very good handle on is how to go about tuning and refining decks. Currently, I basically take a deck to a local game night and get in three, maybe four games, and then based on gut feelings, think about the changes I might want to make. I'm well aware that increasing the amount of games played is a good next step, but how do you approach refining decks and are there other things I should be looking for? Uh, Another good question, which I think feeds on... Really, really well, you know, just in terms of especially as what Hollis was just saying, you know, playing more games and and finding cards to switch in and switch out. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Like, um, it comes back to the way Wolfie would describe it. For a dude that's not here, is certainly having a presence. Yeah. Um, And that's that when you when you play an extra card in your deck, that's effectively a cut to everything else. The idea of tuning is that you Uh, on that. I think Wolfie played uh, the forty six card prepaid Kate deck Hmm. for about a week. And then said he's never going to play 46 cards because <laughs> he said, I think it was like every card I draw with 46 cards has got like a, he had the number, but some percentage chance that it wasn't going to be a lucky find because yeah. of that 46 card. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like there so. is a, there is a real difference there. And, um, like tuning is just about deciding which of those 45 are the most crucial, right? 
Um, but there's also about metagame expectancies, and there's also about uh, how you feel your strategy needs to be supplemented the best, or where the holes in your strategy are. Um, so yeah, like uh, obviously playing more games the first start, but, but say say you couldn't play more games, so you're getting you know, four games a week at your, your local game night. What can we do? Holes, I know you love just drawing test hands. Mm, gold fishing. Yeah, gold fishing it out. It's the it's my favorite thing. It's actually one of my favorite. Uh, ways to learn. I, I'm always of the opinion that when you have two players that are very, very highly skilled, and then you have the decks themselves that are being played are at uh, what I would say it gets the lowest variance possible. So they're consistent and they're tier one decks. The question is, all right, you got a tier one player and a tier one deck. So what's going to make that difference to determine who wins? If they're both tier one players and it's both tier one decks, yes, the actions they take per turn make that difference. Um, yes, the cards they draw per turn can make a difference. But the other element of that is that the, other, the, the element that you can kind of control is how good your start is. And I think that an excellent opening hand or knowing when to mulligan for when your hand is just okay or not really playable in this matchup is really what makes the, one of the biggest differences when you start playing a competitive game is that if, if you don't have a start that you believe can basically guide you through making the, the, um, the efficient runs that you want to make, the efficient plays that you plan to make, it's just not worth it. I'm not going to keep Levy and Plascrete in my opening hand if I'm playing against HP. Um, I mean, I'm starting a hand, in that case, I'm starting a hand with three out of five cards that are immediately useful. Um, whereas, I, whereas if those two card slots were any economic card, that's an extra run that I, that's an extra run I could make. That's an extra card I could draw. Um, and all there of that are traps sometimes, though, in thinking about that, aren't there, Hollis, though? Like, if you assume that something's d- dead in your opening hand just oh. based on your opponent's ID, sometimes you can miscalculate. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's You definitely have to know a lot about matchups. And, and again, it, you know, it's a bit spotty. You, you'll have to kind of make assumptions, and it can bite you in the... In the bump. I made that mistake last year at Worlds in the top 16 against Zach. I kept a hand because it had legwork, and that was I was splashing that in my cake deck specifically for NEH because I wanted to try and flush them out early, and I figured if I... I thought you were about to say you made a mistake because you threw five credits away. And... No, I never did that, but... Um, <laughs> no, I did also do that. Uh, that was a different game. Um, no, this one, uh, I had legwork in there because I thought, yeah, if I can flush the agendas out of HQ early, that gives me a good chance, and if I don't have the capacity to do that, I can just lose if they have a few in their opening hand, and I can't get there um, and can't get them out. So I kept the legwork. I didn't have contacts, which I pretty much mulliganed for in every other matchup throughout the tournament and even against NEH I had, but I sort of took a bit more of a gamble because it was the top 16 and, I don't know, people do stupid things when they're under pressure. (laughs) And I thought, you know, so I kept the legwork, I played it and I I whiffed. Like he didn't have any agendas in his hand on like turn five or whatever whenever I played it. So, you know, you, you shouldn't always, I don't think... Uh, keep hands that you think are going to be more uh, are going to be better in that matchup, um, particularly if you're looking for upside. But I do think it, when you're what you were talking about there, Hollis, in terms of downside, like if you've got plascretes in your deck and you draw your plascretes against someone you know who's not playing meat damage, and that is just a dead card, and it's probably worth getting rid of it if the rest of your hand's not going to f- you know do the core things that you want well enough. And, and bringing that back to the uh, the question of how do you tune, like. If you can't if you can't get the space to play games, like it, I think it is worthwhile to sit down and draw some opening hands and and say to yourself, well, well, especially as a corp, say to yourself, well, what would happen if I kept this hand, and my opponent 
played an indexing on turn one, or if my opponent hit me with a siphon on turn one? What if they just had had the guts and siphoned on click one, and I've got an Eli 1.0 there? What yeah. if they just call me on it? Yeah. I think that's one of the most important ones as co-op is your opening hand is it siphon proof in matchups you think it needs to be that's absolutely and, key and the default there is is it siphon proof just in general and then yeah. if you're on the fence is my opponent likely to have it yeah because <laughs> yeah. the amount of times i've actually been blown out because i'm like honestly oh, it doesn't play siphon yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> I, i'm like losing the game now yeah yeah, yeah. 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 but on, on the converse to that like what happens if your opponent doesn't interact do you have the capacity to do anything like do you have a three two agenda or if you're a slower deck do you have uh, a decent piece of asset economy that you can utilize while your opponent is sitting around losing their their turn to wild to to wild side. Like, um, you don't need to have every tool for every every option, but just consider some uh, common some common circumstances, and then say, oh, maybe this hand wouldn't be too great for that. And as you play a few of these test hands, some themes will emerge. Some themes will emerge, and you'll say, oh, you know. This piece of ice isn't really serviceable in the early game or the mid game. It kind of doesn't make sense, regardless of who I think what what my opponent might be doing. You know, I would even go as far as to say, you know, on the runner and the corpse side, um, there's gonna definitely gonna be a as the game continues to evolve. So you have, as an example, you have replicating perfection deck, and you have an ice suite that you think is the most optimal as the meta shifts and changes with every new card release, every new pack release, for what everyone's playing as far as breakers, you basically need to consistently be tuning your deck. It doesn't mean you, don't, you won't have a universally good ice suite or a universally good breaker suite, but depending on, uh, depending on how the meta shifts, you may be in an era where all of a sudden everyone's playing Escher, so Crick is a much less attractive card. Or... Everyone's playing so many parasites that cards like Pup or uh, Yagura or um, uh, there's another one that escapes me are just you know even worse Surugi? cards. Uh, Tsurugi? Yeah, Komainu. Yeah. Yes, uh, Tsurugi and Komainu, where you know every, so many people are playing parasite. You know it kind of pushes the RPI ice in general, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It pushes the, a lot of your ice choices just out of the matter. Or everyone's playing these really big centuries, so all of a sudden Switchblade is a little more attractive. That that's an example of that's actually a direct example of what you saw happening. Um, after Worlds 2014, prior to or going into this regional season for 2015, is you saw a, an explosion of RP decks that had these really high, super taxing sentries that were very, very expensive to deal with, and then people had to basically adapt. Their Bricker Suites went from being Fem and Fairy and Mimic to actually moving towards a, a deck archetype that uses a Switchblade and it was a little slower, but it broke ice more efficiently. And then you have RP responding in turn by removing those a lot of those sentries and now putting in, you know, a single sub or... Or, uh, or heaps of barriers I, because Shapers are playing Lady, right? Yeah. That, that's it, another example. It, yeah. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you're always going to be tuning versus the, 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 actual, um, the actual meta changing. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it, it breathes life into the game. It makes things interesting. Um, and the fact that there's lots of those little rock, paper, scissors interactions, not just yeah. between whole deck archetypes, but between little micro strategies like which barrier break you're playing yeah. is what makes the metagame so rich at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fact that you can tech against a particular breaker, um, and that can be good against Lady, but then it can fall down against Corroda is just great. Yeah, like, I've, I've kind of got a love affair going with a Wall of Static at the moment, but mm. uh, it hasn't actually been turning out that well for me you, in testing. You know what gets through Wall of Static? <laughs> Everything. Inti. Inti. Inti gets through Wall of Static. 
Is that really efficient, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> Does sound very efficient? If it's double wall static, it's hugely efficient. <laughs> Actually, Dada Sucker rigs are looking really good at the moment, eh? Yeah. And Inti's one influence. <laughs> and it breaks paper wall just like that. Yeah. And brings wrap around like that as well. Yeah. Not like, sure paper wall is going to be played that much at Worlds, but we'll see. I don't know. There's I like paper there's wall. A lot of, there's a lot of yellow decks going around, right? Yeah, old yellow. Old All right, guys. Any closing comments on uh, on those two questions? I, I think um, one thing that goes to both of these questions, and I was going to mention it in regards to the first question, but it's relevant for this one as well, is how you actually make those last few cuts. How you tune is not necessarily just for me uh, a process of playing games, although that is very important, and it feeds. It's one element or one half of the process. The other half is just me sitting down with my deck laid out you know, grouping it by events and programs and so on, uh, sometimes by packages like, you know, the Scorched Earth package or this is your economy package, and just looking at it and thinking th- through what, you know, thinking through the games that I've played, the experiences I've had, how relevant each card is, and just seeing the cards in front of me laid out that way uh, helps me to often make those last few cuts tune a little bit. And then if I need a bit of inspiration, I'll just fan through my deck box um sorry my card collection and just look at all the cards read some cards i might not have thought about for a while you know get out anything that i think might be half relevant lay them all out on the table as well and then cut them one at a time and put them back in the box until i'm left with the right number of cards i think that you know that's that's a fun way to go about it and it works for me and and if you like give you if you kind of just shuffle in a bunch of stuff to your deck right and then recut down and you arrive at exactly the same build even after making all these decisions again maybe even taking them from different perspectives you've probably got a build that suits you mm, right? that's true or you can do what i did and play the uh bagbiter combo chaos theory deck and i had 30 cards in hand i was running with a faust and hit a kumainu and was like hmm <laughs> oh wait hold on i can break this no <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, okay, I need Deus Ex in this list. So <laughs> Otherwise, I just die. Means. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes yeah. I'm like, all right, I need to find space. For sometimes Deus Ex. you actually just have a hole that you can't yeah, yeah. fill. And yeah. look, you're just going to have to bite that bullet. And, mm. uh, you're going to have to bite that bag, rather, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and put a Deus Ex in there. Um, and that's what I did. And yeah. I, I never folded to Kamino again. Uh, for, for me, there was like a three month period there where I didn't break Lotus Field at all. Like yeah, that was people last put year. a Lotus Field in their remote, and they put uh, an agenda in there, and like, mm. cause, and they're like, Shilzy, I know you don't play away the break Lotus Field." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." You, and by you, people, you, you fucking Brian. got me, man. Brian, 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 just yeah. pretty much me. Yeah, yeah. No, it was Brian, but it was <laughs> also so hard, man. <laughs> Lots of people. Uh, all right, guys. Um, thanks so much for tuning. In. Congratulations to uh, our winners, Jacob and Peter, and congr- and thanks so much to everybody who entered the competition. Um, even though we don't have a huge amount of reading the memory copies to give away, we'll certainly uh, maybe find a way to talk about some of the discussions because it was a really tight competition. There were a lot of really oh, good yeah. topics there in there. There were a lot of fantastic We questions. might even, the next time Wolfie's not here, do a flavor special because we've got quite a few flavor questions as well. He might Ooh. have a heart attack. He might have a heart attack. Yeah, his brain, yeah. just his brain shit might fry. <laughs> And there are a heap more questions that we really, really enjoyed. Um, and hopefully we're going to be able to talk about those on upcoming episodes as well. And if we, we'll, we'll either have, um, I don't know if we'll have a few read-only memories keys left over, will we? We, we, we may do. We'll see how we go. Yeah, we'll so we may have some read-only memories keys to give away um, over the next few weeks. But even if we don't, uh, you can look forward to hearing us discuss a few more of the questions that you sent in over the next few weeks. Yeah, we've also been toying around with the idea of doing a TWA debate debate episodes where we just get real deep real hard on and some thing. of those on some of those uh and some of those topics will be great for that for people to take opposite sides and just just bags, get, bags get on. on Hollis's team yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
right. Thanks so much, guys. If you want to get in contact with us, you can do so at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at Winning Agenda. You can like our Facebook page, The Winning Agenda. And uh, until next week, guys, we'll see you every Monday ad nauseum. And so, good luck to everyone at Worlds. Yes, good luck to everyone at Worlds. And don't forget to send in your sweepstakes before Friday, 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, U.S. But especially Hollis. But especially Hollis. <laughs> don't yeah, forget to send in your sweepstakes, Hollis. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Thank you guys. guys. Bye-bye.